talk about grace. Grace is one of the most important and central um, central things about being a Christian and about it just it stands of so much at the core of what our faith is about and um, it is incredibly important that uh, we we have a real understanding of what it is. And that we make no assumptions. And so um, that's why we're going to take a couple weeks and we're going to talk about that. Um, and if I could, let me, let me ask for the attention of all the church kids. Um, if you're a church kid, uh, if you're not a church kid, great. Uh, if you are a church kid, great. Both great. But if you are a church kid, let me ask you to not check out because you've heard the word grace since you were born. Okay? Um, and I only ask you to do that because I have that very same tendency. It's like when, uh, when Christmas rolls around, when Easter rolls around, when John 3.16 is the scripture we're going to talk about, those kind of things. You kind of put on that, like, I know what this is all about, you know, whatever. Um, and so I'm going to ask, uh, as one of the church kids who grew up in church in Sunday school and was, like, overly involved, um, let's all of us uh, not do that. Okay, um, because I believe that um, John three sixteen should never get old, should continue to um, to become more and more meaningful to us, and the depths that God wants to take us in understanding what that verse is about, or the hymn Amazing Grace. Those those things are we should never ever tap out when it comes to that stuff. So um, when it comes to the church kids, that's all. Uh, Let's, let's go for it a little bit if we can. Um, if you ask, uh, especially um, you ask around a little bit about how would you define grace, there are a lot of different ways to define it, a lot of lengthy explanations, lots of books written about it, lots of, lots of ways to do this. And um, so I started a couple weeks ago, like I knew that this was what was going to come next and was really trying to figure out, like, how do you, you know, where do you start? I mean, there's just, we, you could spend years of Sunday nights going through and talking just about grace. And so, um, let me just go ahead and say this now. This will not be the best sermon on grace you've ever heard. So just take the bar. And just, like, not that it was very high to begin with. But let's say it was this high. Let's just like, knock it down a little bit and uh, whatever. It's not going to be the best one you've ever heard. Um, but I believe, I believe it's the one for us tonight. Okay? So if you were to ask people what does grace mean, um, a lot of their answers can have been boiled down to these two words that really uh, pretty much hit the nail on the head. And that would be unmerited favor. Unmerited favor. That's what a lot of people will, will say, especially people who've been around the church a little bit. Um, and so what I want us to do is I want us to acknowledge that, that is a great summary of grace. And let's look at those two words as, as like each of them is like an iceberg of truth. You know, There's the part that sticks out of the water is the word unmerited. But there's so much truth beneath it that we need to understand so that whenever we say unmerited favor... 
we're really thinking about all the truth that lies beneath it. We're just trying to be concise, all right? So we're going to start with the, with the second word, which would be favor. And that um, is a word that, for some people, brings up a lot of red flags. Because the prosperity gospel preachers have abused the word favor uh, tremendously. And so it's favor is not, you know, um, you tithe, you get a Cadillac. Okay. And I don't think, probably not many of us here are like on board with that. Um, but just so you know, that is absolutely wrong. And if I ever say that, then, well, the, the elders know what to do. Just tell them. Um, uh, that is not what favor is, is about. Um, favor, if, if you take what favor is with us relationally, it's basically saying, like, I, I like that guy. That's what favor is. I like you. But with God, it, it is that plus. It's, it's God looking at me, and I'm going to talk about me a lot tonight, but that's not me trying to be self-centered. It's just me trying to be consistent and, um, and whatever. So I'm just, when I reference me a lot, it's not all about me, okay? Um, well, I, I know it's not about me. I know I act like it is a lot of times, but working on it. Um, when God looks at me, favor toward me is God saying, I like this guy, and I'm going to act in his life to do things that he cannot do for himself. That's, that's the favor of God. When you look, um, when you study grace, um, grace is a New Testament word. The Old Testament word is favor. And all throughout the Old Testament, it's talking about the favor of God and um, God's, uh, they're asking God to, to um, turn his face toward them, to find favor in his eyes. Um, it is a very Jewish concept that favor um, is shown from one person to another in the countenance in the expression on your face in eye contact. And so to them, like they want, if you're happy, they want to see you smile and they want you to look them in the eye and when you, when you, when you talk to them. And so that's what they're wanting from God is they're saying, God, we, we, want, to, we want to sense you, your smile to us. That's what we want. We want your favor. We want your eyes to turn on us and your countenance to express favor to us. We want to know that you like us. And so... Unmerited favor is the fact that, in a nutshell, we don't deserve the fact that God looks at your life and says, I like you, and I'm going to act in your life to do things that you can't do on your own. That's what favor is, okay? So, and that's my, like, summation. There it was, two minutes on favor. Now let's get into unmerited, because that's the meat uh, for tonight, all right? Uh, In Ephesians 2, uh, we have um, one of the, it's just such a concise and direct and in-your-face teaching on, um, on salvation is what it is. And so what I want to do is I want us to, to kind of look at, um, I, have, I have six points, which is convenient. Um, if you're a note-taker, this is your night. I have six points um, about unmerited that we see in these verses. And there are a lot more points out there than this, and there are a lot more points within this text, but I feel like these are the six for us to keep in mind. So... The favor part is God saying, I like you, and I'm going to act in a way to do things in your life that you cannot do on your own. Let's look at the unmerited part of that. Um, I just want to read the first 10 verses together so you can kind of get a sense of uh, the feel of this text. Um, Starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, 
and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I'm really glad it doesn't stop there, you know? Sometimes there's just these, you get to roll and you're like, man, she's kind of dark. Um, and, but then every now and then, there's this, this really great transition that will often read something like this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Here's a couple of things about that would fall under the idea of unmerited favor. The first one, what we see in the first three verses, um, I'm just going to read it again because you can't read the Bible too much, right? Listen to what this is saying. And you were dead in trespasses, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The first, the first point of unmerited is kind of obvious. It's that I don't deserve it. But in order to understand that we don't deserve it, we have to understand what we, what we actually deserve, which these verses says, you deserve the wrath of God to destroy you and to kill you and to eliminate you completely. Tough. Every time I've ever read about wrath or preached about wrath, it has this really uncomfortable deal because we like Jesus um, walking through the countryside with the lamb on his, you know, over his back, you know, with the broken leg and he's nursing it back and feeding him. So we like that Jesus, right? Um, we like the Holy Spirit coming in acts and healing people and stuff like that. We like God parting the Red Sea. We don't like the fact that he is full of wrath and must destroy sin. Not all that comfortable with it. However, um, wrath is not the only thing about God. There's a lot of things about God, wrath being one of them. And because he is holy, as the Holy One, he is obligated to destroy evil. Because he's the only one that can do it. I mean, it's, he would have to stop being God in order to just let evil continue, and he just can't do it. So he has to eliminate sin. And in his wrath and in his anger, he's going to do that. And so for us, who are children of wrath, born into wrath, that is what we deserve. A lot of people would say, that's not fair, and it's not this, and this, and this. And um, it, he's the Holy One, and we are the ones who have offended him in our sin. Even though we were born into it, that's still the reality that we were born in which is why we need a Savior, which is why Jesus is awesome, okay? Uh, so that's all part of the picture, and we're very blessed to know the entire picture, but let's, let's be honest. Um, grace and that unmerited favor is not something we deserve because we deserve the wrath of God. So when God looks at you and says, I like you and I'm going to act in a way that accomplishes thing you can't, things you can't do on your own, 
it is not because uh, you have have deserved it. And it's kind of countercultural because we kind of feel like we deserve everything, you know, especially in America. Um, that's so much of in all these debates about you know healthcare and education and all these things that are going on. A lot of times you hear people say, "This is the United States of America," and I mean we we deserve. Healthcare. We deserve education. We deserve all this stuff. And I'm not making statements about any of those things politically. What I'm saying is when it comes to God, sometimes we kind of have that same mindset of I was created in his image. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm the center of the universe, kind of. And so I kind of deserve it. But you don't. God's saying, I like you. It should, it's really God saying in these verses, I'm going to destroy you. That's when God being a warrior is kind of a scary thing instead of a great thing. So that's the first thing is that uh, I don't deserve it. And it's interesting, when, you know, we've been talking about God being a warrior and stuff. And last week, like I, I referenced uh, the Star Wars deal when uh, Han Solo and Chewbacca, because you don't leave out Chewbacca, and uh, Luke Skywalker, and they go in into the thing where Princess Leia is being held captive, and they go in, and he says, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you. And she is a princess, right? So that makes her because she is royalty. And so in this sense, this is not like a warrior rescue story. Jesus doesn't come in and say, I'm Jesus Christ, the warrior. I'm here to rescue you from sin and oppression and blindness and all these things because you deserve it. He said, I'm Jesus Christ, the warrior. And I'm here to rescue you because I am gracious. And even though you don't deserve anything but annihilation, I'm going to give you life. That's awesome. Look at the next two verses. Look at four and five. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The second point in this is that it is not owed to me. There is no obligation on God's end. At no point when, when God created the world, Adam and Eve sinned and separated us from him, there's no point where God was necessarily obligated to do something about it. He's not indebted to me for anything. These verses say that he's the one that's rich in mercy, and I'm the dead one. I'm the dead one. I'm the dead one that he loves because he is rich in mercy, but it's not because um, I owe him anything. He's not, I mean, it's not because he's, I, I'm sorry. <clears throat> it's not because he's obligated or indebted to me for anything. That might seem kind of strange, especially in a society that is very much about scorekeeping. You know, you've done this for me, so I'll do this for you. You cut my grass, so I'll cut your grass. You bought me coffee, so I'll buy you coffee. But that's not what this is about. God's not indebted to us, which may seem a little bit obvious. But when it comes to unmerited, we have to keep that in mind. <coughs> It's very important that we understand that. That there's no obligation on his end. 
That'll maybe make sense as we look at all these points together. Look at 6 and 7. He's saying that we've been made alive together with Christ. Verse 6 says, and, and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the, incom- the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. These, uh, this third point is that um, that favor is not because He needs me. It says the, that it's the immeasurable riches. He doesn't need anything from us. Sometimes you hear people say that. Well, God needs me to go and, and serve as a missionary. Or God needs me to, to do this. Or God needs this. And it's, that's not true. And that may not be what everybody means when they say that. But God is completely self-sufficient. He's not, there's no deficiency in him that he needs us to somehow do some kind of work and then we can somehow fix that. He's not a guy with a transmission that needs a mechanic friend to come and help him out. He longs for nothing. He needs for nothing. He's, he's good. You look at those verses again. Made us alive together. Raised us up with him seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He's the one that's in heaven. So if there's going to be an issue on, on our end or his end, it's probably not going to be on his, because he's in heaven, and he's fine. And so when he looks at your life and says, I like you, and I'm going to act in your life to do things that you can't do on your own, it has nothing to do with him needing you. And again, that's countercultural because that's so much of our society is I'll do you a favor at work and then one day you'll owe me you know y'all you, you can just owe me one you can just owe me one and so when he looks at you it's not because you can offer him anything because I mean scripture says like on our best day we're just we're still stable you know so I don't deserve it it's not owed to me it's not because he needs me Look at, look at 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The fourth point is that I didn't earn it. On my most spiritual, holy, amazing, whatever day, not good enough to earn it. On my worst, biggest struggle, I mean, just falling left and right kind of day. I'm no further outside the reaches of it than I was on my best day. And that just really doesn't make a whole lot of sense to us when you really think about it. Because we're all about earning stuff. I worked overtime, so I have earned that bonus money. I have done this and this and this and this and this, and so I've, I'm, I've earned your respect. There's so many people who still, no matter how old you get, are trying so hard to earn the approval of your parents, earn the approval of one of your peers that you really respect. And this is not about 
relating to your parents or relating to your friends or relating to your boss. This is about relating to the Lord that there's absolutely nothing in you that has earned that grace. And when he says, I like you, I'm going to act in your life in ways to do things that you can't do on your own, which I'm repeating a lot on purpose. Um, when he says that, it's not because, you know what, you've worked really hard, and so I'm going to, um, I'm going to save you, or I'm going to um, prove that I have the power to change this in your life. When Debbie comes up here, when anybody comes up here and they say, these are the things that God has done in my life, and these are the areas he's working on, has nothing to do with the fact that they've worked really, really hard to earn it. Dallas Willard says that grace is not, is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. So if you're, if you're having a quiet time and you're praying and you're memorizing verses and you're, you're serving with our homeless outreach, you're involved in a community group, you're doing all these things as a way of trying to earn your way into the graces of God, you're missing the point. If that is your attitude, then you don't understand grace. If you're doing those things because you love the Lord and you love people and, and like you just want to work hard because you, you believe wholeheartedly in what he's called the church to do, that's awesome. That's a great understanding of grace. And so I haven't earned it. You haven't earned it. That's why it's unmerited. The next point also comes from these verses. Um, that it's a freely given gift. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The Him looking at your life and saying, I like you, and I'm going to act to do things you can't do on your own. That He, he wants to do that. And, and for me, that's, that's getting into that that part of, of grace that I don't really always understand. It's almost, you know, almost like, you're like, okay, I know God loves me, but I just don't really feel like he likes me. I really don't feel like he necessarily like wants all the time to do these things in my life. It's almost like he's holding back on purpose till I get my ducks in a row. And so I guess I'll either get my ducks in a row and work real hard to earn it, you know, earn his blessing, or I'll just just be okay with ducks all over the place, and I'll just get through life, whatever. But grace being the gift of God means that when he says, I like you, it also means that I want to act in your life to do things that you can't do on your own. Like, that's his desire. A lot of people... When, when, when you read books about grace, a lot of it comes back to parenting. And I guess that makes a lot of sense because, because I mean, you look around at parents and when parents, when they, when they discipline or when they praise their kids and when they, everything in between, it's, it's always wanting, just wanting them to be all that they, they were created to be and all that they can be. And so parents, like, they, they want to do that. I'm sure at times, maybe like cooking dinner at the end of a long day is not necessarily the most fun thing ever, but they still want their kids to eat. They want their kids to take their vitamins. They want their kids to grow up and be healthy. Like they want all those things. They want them to succeed in school. And yes, there are parents out there who like don't want that stuff. And there are kids who grow up in really tough environments. 
But when you look at really great parents, they have this, this want. They want to serve their kids. They want to love their kids. They want to drive them to soccer practice and then across town to, you know, whatever, something else, and then back home and then try to do homework. And they want to, like, give them a bath because their kids need to be clean. There's all these things that, to us who are not parents, I'm like, God, that must run you crazy. And maybe it does run them crazy, but it doesn't mean that they don't want to do it all. It's the gift of God. He wants, he wants to, to give you insight about things you need to do. He wants to be um, the one uh, to, to make your path straight. He wants to give you discernment about his will. He wants to comfort you when you're hurting. He, wa- he wants to do all that stuff. And it is completely unmerited. Last thing is that grace is, is from God. It is the gift of God. That when he looks in your life, he says, I have a personal and intentional gift that I want to give to this person. And it's not grace like, like when your friends are gracious to you. It's not the same, it's not the same kind of grace. We tend to think that, that grace, and we do this a lot, where however we experience things, um, horizontally in all our relationships, we just kind of like flip it up and make it our theology. And so we think because horizontally grace is like, well, I just won't get mad at you or I'll just look, kind of look the other way about something or I won't bite your head off or, you know, whatever. Or I'll still kind of begrudgingly, you know, be nice to you and stuff like that, but I'm going to keep it, you know, hidden down and all this kind of stuff. We think that grace is not bringing tension to a situation or you know, not making things weird, or just being like, just being nice, or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. That this is a gift of, of God from the Creator of the universe, who holds all things together, who owns everything and is over everything and in everything. And He looks at your life and says, "I like you. I'm going to act in your life because there are things that you cannot do. You cannot save yourself." You cannot break free from those addictions. You cannot see the divine perspective on your life that knows what this next decision is going, how this is going to position you for something I have for you ahead. You cannot minister to your coworkers effectively. You cannot heal yourself. You cannot give yourself peace. You cannot comfort yourself. You cannot bring joy into your life. You cannot do all of these things. And so I like you, and I'm going to act in your life to do all these things that you can't do. You haven't earned it, and you don't deserve it. It's not because he owes you anything, and it's not because he needs you. It's a free gift. It's awesome. So, so what? It's like, okay, well, we talked about grace. I'm married to favor. Okay. Turn to Numbers chapter 6 real quick. might seem like an odd place to go. The end of Numbers 6, there's a, a priestly blessing that is still used um, in Jewish services today. And the priest would... Uh, well, I, I don't have time to get into it, but... Um, Pretty, pretty awesome when you read the description of what goes on. And maybe I'll get into it later on, uh, another, on another Sunday. 
But look at, look at verse 22. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Every time that they would come together, at the end, the priest would say this blessing, this prayer. And that's what it is. It's a prayer to a sovereign God. It's not a magic you know, formula or anything like that. It was this prayer that from the priest who was supposed to redirect them to God, he was telling them, you are the people of God. He says every time they bless them, it was like putting God's name on them, and he was going to bless them. So they would stand up, and the priest would say this prayer, and it was like, boom, like, here's a reminder, you are the people of God. He's going to take care of you. And the prayer is that they will be blessed in these ways. The Lord bless you, verse 24, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious. Remember what I said earlier about the countenance. Like, we may, may the face of God and the countenance of God shine upon you. I mean, like, like sunlight. Like when you're somewhere and like for some reason like a light comes on you, you're like this. Like, that, that the graciousness of God would just shower over you like that and get your attention so that you would know how valuable you are, that you would know that you are, are His, that you would know that you're favored, even though you don't deserve it and you can't earn it, and on your best day, you know, all that stuff, everything that we just said, that you would know that that is how God looks at you, that He says, I like you, you are mine. And I'm going to tell you, and all these things in your life that you, you cannot do it on your own, and I'm the only one who can do it, I'm going to do it. So don't get up on the fact that you're not, that you have bad days, and you struggle all the time, and life is hard, and you fall short, and you really make these commitments, and you're very sincere, and then you have a bad day. Let's, don't worry about all that. That fear is coming your way, good day or bad day doesn't mean you just give up and you, and you stop having that effort, but you don't have that. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. When the grace and the, and the presence of God is being showered down on you, and you have that realization moment of what unmerited favor is about. And like, that, like the song that we sing sometimes, Majesty, it says, uh, it says much stuff. But it says, uh, here I am, sometimes something, um, empty-handed but alive in your hands. When you get to that point, and you're like, I live because of unmerited favor. There's, there's peace that's there. And not, not peace like, oh, absence of conflict, all my problems just went away. Not that. Peace of, of when you are in the center of God's will, where you, when you are in that, that flow of grace and mercy and love, and you are there, your heart is steadied. 
you start looking at things completely differently when that shalom is there. And so that is what this priest would stand up and say in front of the people, saying, you are God's people. May he bless you and keep you. May his graciousness shine upon you. May his face turn and look at you. And may you walk in peace. That's a strong way to end a service. To always be reminded of what that's about. Now for us, that prayer is absolutely applicable. There's a pretty good chance that we'll end that way tonight. Spoiler, okay? But for us, we have something that they didn't have in Numbers chapter 6 land. (laughs) We have what Ephesians 2 says um, in verse 7, the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have Jesus. We have Jesus. That is, that is what is in front of us. That is the expression of grace. That is the unmerited favor. Walked the earth, lived a sinless life, got up on the cross with some help, and had all that wrath poured onto him so that you and I could walk in grace and live in community in grace and sing songs together tonight in grace and that's the truth and the times when we feel worthless and you know God doesn't like us and all this kind of stuff those are lies the truth is unmerited favor awesome absolutely awesome and the best way for us to be reminded of that is Jesus think about the cross, to think about what he has done, to think about who he is and who he is to us and how he is literally in us the hope of glory. I mean, it's just incredible. And so I hope that I know I've been kind of random and scattered, but I'm telling you, I'm just worked up. I hope that you know that God likes you. And that his free gift of acting in your life to do things you can't do on your own has nothing to do with how awesome you are, even though you're all pretty awesome. Just because he is love. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing a little bit. We're going to respond to what we've been talking about. And I hope that we can do so with all these things in mind. That's between you and him. So let me pray for us as the band comes up. God, you you are like no other. And um, so many times we try to understand you as though you were just another human. But no one is gracious the way that you are gracious. And God, you know that we face all kinds of lies and um, just really warped thinking that's developed over time and we're in this battle between the spirit and the flesh and all this stuff that we talk about all the time. God, we thank you that our best day and our worst day don't change our standing before you. God, whatever it is that 
we all need to hear tonight. Maybe it was all of it. Maybe it was just bits and pieces. God, I pray that, that you will be the one to speak those truths to us. Because that's one of the biggest things we can't do on our own as Christians. Because we can, we can speak truth, truth to ourselves and we can say it to one another, but you are the one who actually makes the difference. You're the one that takes the words of others. You're the one that takes the words of Scripture. You're the one that takes all those things and makes it real to us. We believe that you've been doing that the whole time we've been here tonight. We pray, God, that you will just solidify some things in these closing moments, whether it's through prayer or through some of the songs or just being in a room like this with so many so many people who are just evidences of your grace at work among us. These moments are yours, Father.